shapes. We'll learn how to intuitively combine different textures, colors, and patterns to create your own unique mobile. There's no experience necessary. The Leedy Vocals Art Center is at 2012 Baltimore Avenue with CMO. For more information on these and many other events in our area, go to kkfi.org slash arts KC go. This is Maria Vasquez Boyd, and you're listening to 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Wednesday, everyone. It's Maria Vasquez Boyd on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Thanks so much for joining us today. Our last episode of Artspeak Radio for 2023. And to that, we have our wonderful guests that that come monthly and share their, their great knowledge and wealth of information about the arts. We have Christopher Leach and Elizabeth Kirsch. Thank you guys so much for coming in this last Wednesday of the year. It is an honor. It's so pleasant to sit in a studio with Maria Vasquez Boyd and Elizabeth Kirsch, and I hope some of that joy will be communicated to your listeners today. I love it, love it, love it. (laughs) So we're going to talk all about art, and, uh, you know, we've got some great conversations that are going to take place. Um, I want you to know that, again, uh, this is the last episode of 2023, and 2024, January 24th, next year we will be moving to 9 a.m to 10 a.m so please make note of that and we're actually going to have some uh, airplay about that so do we want to start off with you elizabeth shall we start or what what you got going for us? i think both okay christopher and i wish to bring uh um attention to the wonderful show of hispanic art that is now at the nelson and which includes you and you might want to say a couple words about that i will say that Maria's piece is is an installation actually and it's I think there are a lot of surprises in this show Maria's piece is one there's another hanging sculpture and uh, I what I really like about Maria's and Christopher will, will have add some things to this is that she's combined aspects of both cultures that she knows well the Ojo de Dios incredible um, woolen eye of god pieces that are installed on the wall along with her own very personal abstract art that she usually uses sumi ink to produce and it's and uh, the fusion of those two on a wall is really interesting this extraordinary exhibit is titled una presencia stratificada or a layered presence um, I was really thrilled to see a lot of familiar names, Jenny Mendes, Sue Moreno, our host, Maria Vasquez Boyd. Uh, some of the usual uh, boys are included, Israel Garcia Garcia, Jose Faust, uh, Chico Sierra. Um, 
There are 22 artists in this yeah. exhibit. And the really great thing uh, that I think the museum has done is this is not a special event with costumes and ethnic food in the foyer or the lobby or out in the plaza. This is a gosh darn uh, exhibit in a gallery with labels and text panels and a really long run. This exhibit's gonna be open through September the 28th, uh, 2024. I know the museum has been struggling with strategies for being inclusive. And being inclusive means more than dead white masters and more than white people deciding uh, what you get to see and understand about uh, non-dominant cultures here in the US. And uh, this is, a real commitment. I often say when you're doing DEI work that the the most expensive thing that you can do as a majority institution is to get out of the way and give table space, give wall space, and not control the conversation. And I think that the museum did that. Uh, they widened the umbrella of its validation and their approval and the empowerment of these incredible voices. It's about darn time. And um, yeah, I think what you'll find yeah. is that even though, as Christopher noted, there be some people if you're if you know about art locally that you will that you will be familiar with. But what I loved seeing as much was the people I didn't know about. Yeah, exactly. And I heard people. I've seen the show now three times, and I heard people saying to one another, "I never." I had no idea. I didn't know they lived here. They said, I had no idea. These artists, right. I've never seen this work before. This is amazing. And that I, I really did hear several times, and I include myself in that dialogue. And, and that it, for me is always a thrill to, you know, to see something that I didn't know about before that really moves you. And this show has both. People were, were so proud of in this community, like Maria and right. others. And then it's like, who knew? Um, that these other artists were here. And the wonderful thing uh, to see in the gallery was, uh, yeah, there were either, there were Latinx uh, individuals and families uh, spending time with the work. There were non-Latinx peoples uh, in the gallery too, spending time with the work. They weren't just cruising by, oh, there's another Impressionist, oh, there's oh, no. a, another altarpiece. Um, from the 16th century, uh, people were looking at the works and reading the labels and getting to know what they were seeing uh, in a better way. And uh, I haven't been that excited about an exhibit uh, in Kansas City for a really long time. What and is exciting I, to see? I want to encourage tons yeah. of people to get over and see it. You do have time, but you'll want to go back again mm -hmm. and again. So put it on your to-do list. I think people don't necessarily expect because we tend to think perhaps in cliches or in tropes or whatever, and I don't. I think the diversity in this show is amazing. In terms of content, in scale, of, yeah, lots um, of women artists. So exciting and important, and and different timely. media. Uh, yeah, and I know there's more out there too, but it, it just to see this group. I think people. I think we're excited to know because Kansas City is so big; it's so sprawled out. And it's exciting to know that this is part of Kansas City. Right. It, um, I don't know. There's something about that that, it, you know, we've got more than football to make us proud. <laughs> we always have. Yes. So I do want to encourage everyone to see Una Presencia Estratificada, a layered presence at the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art 
uh, check their website four times. You know, thank you so much for that. I, I, I was kind of taken off guard. It was unexpected, but uh, I, I want to thank you both for mentioning that. And it has been a, a huge uh, joy to be included in that show. There's many fine artists. I know that the Nelson is really reevaluating the direction and so this is the third of a series of, of mm-hmm. group right. shows that they're doing first was the african-american and asian-american right. right. and i i talked with stephanie fox knapp who said that they will be continuing this and there will be a L- lgbt oh, cool. show in the future so thank you for for mentioning that oh, yeah. well, we couldn't help but mention it it's one of the most important things happening in kansas city's art community right now mm-hmm. yes. hey elizabeth what else is up well Okay, and Christopher will chime in here. I was very moved. I, uh, I'm actually, I'm, I'm writing on, on these. There are two shows that now at um, Lady Vocus. One is a show, a very large show by Jason Pollan, and the other is by Dylan Mortimer. And <clears throat> when I saw those shows, I walked out, and I, I felt it was kind of a little melancholy, world events and all that, and walked out, and I just felt elated. And I thought, what, what? <laughs> why and I realized both of these artists deal with really extreme beauty and there and there's something about being in touch with that and that is has often been disparaged in the art world um beauty was a dirty word in the 80s and 90s and I know a lot of artists who were making beautiful things were, were totally spurned scorned whatever and Jason Pollan of course was at the Art Institute for a long time, and he has done workshops. He is the, he is the master of materials. That's what I always call <laughs> him. Um, and he I give him the crown because he can work with any and all materials. But one thing I noticed with both of these men, and Dylan, of course, is famous for all of his glitter, literally his, his glitter. As beautiful as these are, there were sub-themes to both of their shows right. that made them more right. than just decoration and jason i looked at the titles of his works they're called shields totems community uh, witness uh, nomads descendants and a lot of this i think is personal to jason's own life because it's he's led a very peripatetic existence as an artist he speaks several languages he's lived in different continents literally but and i also know that <clears throat> he's had illnesses and some of these these like the shields are art for him I I realized is a shield it is a way of dealing with the world and its difficulties is making something beautiful and that is his shield I think and he has something else called jazz suite he loves jazz so he made something that related to jazz that's that's really wonderful he's got something called refuge um and also community because i think in jason's case and something called descendants and i think for jason he has taught so many people around the world that art making these beautiful things is a way for him to not necessarily validate his existence but this is what gives him purpose and the fact that he can express it this way in this much beauty it really moved me and it's fu- you know what it's just fun and um and then dylan many people know dylan mortimer uh has wrestled with <clears throat> long-term illnesses very severe life-threatening they, they they still are i mean he's doing much better 
but his works are kind of dazzling, and he, he refers to them as the Baroque, the contemporary Baroque, because they're just mm. wild and crazy, and, mult, and they're, you know, they're cutouts, and they're shaped, and there's, there's all these different forms in there, and they're, they are really jazzy. But they relate, literally, to things like sutures, and to cancer cell, and other cells. And pills, and, and a whole a series of works about all the pills he has to take. Yeah, he's got like one, and, and this will come stunning. up later, I think, what I'm talking is, he's got one amazing piece that's just with tree trunks. And underneath it, they're in a field of pills. And yeah. he said, these are all the pills I've taken. Work. But it is a, it is a stunning work. It is gorgeous. And you don't have to know any of the backstory for these two artists to go in there and just kind of, you know, rejoice in the, in the beauty and um, the fun they have making this. But when you, you, you realize on some level there's got to be a subtext because the work is somehow also profound. And knowing that, I think, adds... Um, Adds, adds to the pleasure, and both of those shows will be up through the end of, of January. And I think you just had a little announcement earlier that yeah. Jason will actually, on January 12th, yeah. will do a workshop at, so people can make their own little dangly collages. So that should be fun. I think it's important for people to note that uh, Jason came to visual art from dance. And when I learned this, when I was his student uh, many years ago, uh, it, it opened up a world of understanding for me uh, for how he talked about the visual world and how he talked about materials um, because he wasn't and he isn't hidebound to the accomplishment of a single image. And, and he was a painter. Uh, that's how he first mm -hmm. entered uh, doing uh, visual work. And as a painter, he learned that he could earn money. Uh, to, to keep roof over his head by painting patterns for textile mm -hmm. uh, companies to print in repeat. And that's how he established a career as one of the foremost textile design yeah. artists in the world and one of uh, the best, if not the best, textile design educators in the United States. He really is so generous, I think, in that sense yeah. of, of his love. He, he loves the Art Institute. He's donating his house to the Art Institute. A lot of the things he makes, that the proceeds go to the Art Institute. Right. He mm -hmm. really loves introducing people to this wonderful world that he creates with materials and pattern. The dancing makes sense because his work yeah. always looks like it's getting ready well, to dance uh, you know, out of the room. And the movement of the mobiles and the sentinels and mm -hmm. these other three-dimensional yeah. forms, uh, I think, captures uh, some of his love of movement. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I mentioned to Elizabeth earlier was that Dylan and Jason both are approaching uh, their work at least from the perspective of devotion. Uh, Dylan started out uh, right. in his sculpture and painting career making very specifically uh, religious themed uh -huh. uh, works of art because he's um, an evangelical Christian and uh, very brightly and positively embraces that faith in his life and work. And uh, Jason is a well-known Buddhist and uh, very deeply engaged with the Buddhist community uh, nationally and internationally. And um, uh, in both uh, faith traditions, we find an embrace of pattern and decoration uh, as a beauty. way. And beauty as a way to disorient uh, your monkey mind and, as John Cage said, uh, make you susceptible to divine influences. And I think this celebration of uh, visual reality, um, not as metaphor or as symbol, right. but as method uh, and as path 
uh, is uh, something that both of these artists share. And um, yeah, it's meant to put you in touch with yeah. inner feelings that have to do with awe and have to do with reverence and wonder. And that's I realized when I walked out of those two shows, I feel differently than when I walked in. And it's just from looking at this work. And um, I also want to say that I think it's brave of them to do this work because the whole P&D or pattern and decoration was a movement that was um, really came to the forefront in the 80s. And a lot of people hated it. And I talked recently to an art historian, Robert Hobbs, and he, I said, why, why did people hate this movement so much? Like the, the leading um, theorist of the time, Rosalind Krauss, has written an entire book on, from, uh, on the 20th century. Every year she covered what was going on, which he thought was important. Not once did she mention pattern and decoration. And Robert said he thought one of the problems was that it, it, was, uh, it was feminist and feminine in its connotation. Right. Yeah. And there's still such a prejudice against that but I remember talking to Victor Babu and I said who made beautiful work and he said Gorgeous. oh he yeah. was he was just vilified by his fellow artists and a lot of artists suffered if they made anything that was beauty was a dirty word it was a dirty word and so it's still I don't know Christopher might know more about this <laughs> than I do I think there's there's it's still somewhat I mean it were so caught up and still and rightfully so in in identity issues and things like this but as Christopher points out we now looking at things globally and a lot of those art forms like Tibetan uh, Persian Asian Muslim yes um, be, because Jewish oh, a because great tradition kind of, of Jewish yeah. decorative I mean um, I think we're opening up again to the notion of beauty is not yeah. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> well, it seems to be taking the contemporary art economy a very long time uh, to recover from the addiction to the machismo mm -hmm. of uh, the mid-century and uh, abstract expressionism. And that vocabulary and those measures of success and uh, those protocols for approaching a career as an artist uh, favored uh, a few and uh, ignored generations mm -hmm. of the tradition of a painter having to take religious commissions or having to decoratively paint someone's drawing room or uh, having to uh, work uh, in magazine illustration uh, in order to pay their bills and keep their uh, the roof over their head and their lights on. I, I, for so long, and I complained about this when I was a student, we were being taught how to be art teachers um, in a college, and that was the only thing that your art school was good at showing you how to do uh, when what you wanted to do was be a, a creative agent in your culture and in your civilization. And the way to do that is through multi-channel <laughs> communication, not just doing one thing solely. And even, you know, these giant successful artists who uh, sell in the mega galleries, they do more than one thing and mm -hmm. they have teams of people helping them. And mm -hmm. it is about uh, beauty and materials and engagement. And uh, it's also so. what's happening too, increasingly artists aren't afraid to use craft and to say that word, which was always like the, the you know, the, the country cousin craft that was like, <laughs> you know, and the art world was such yeah. a place yeah. of hierarchy and craft was at the very bottom and not, not even allowed in the door when you were talking about fine art. And obviously these artists, these two artists are masters. Yeah 
of craft and i think i think artists are finally having fun thinking <laughs> oh i get to play with glitter i get to play with with paper i get to play with fabric you know and and i think um and i think that's and that's also once again it was relegated to the feminine the notion of craft yeah. and and so they are engaging so many aspects of of art from a historical <clears throat> viewpoint as christopher has noted and that's fun you know and, and i have to say uh, when you talk about jason paul i studied under him in oh. fiber at the art institute right. and he was one of the only professors that i that i studied with who who gave this joyful soulful mm -hmm. sort of response to to art making and you know i i loved the surface design i loved uh -huh. creating because he was just so inspiring and he really you know let you know that it's okay to put a soul with you know detach it to your work i got tired of sort of the process of you know thickened bleach and <laughs> process in steam and all there's of that. a lot of steps right right <laughs> i don't know how he does it and, I really, and that's I how i became a painter because i just wanted that pure joy right. Right. and and you know i have to thank him for you know showing so much of of that industry you know of, of working with fiber and different mm -hmm. fabrics and silks and um you know all of that uh it was just it was one of the better parts of my education at the art institute and of course meeting christopher leach well I <laughs> ditto uh, well, speak of the art institute don't you have some things to talk i do about? but it sounds like we might need to have we, a little yeah, announcement break. Break oh my god here. you read my face yes we're gonna, <laughs> we'll be back with art speak radio art speak radio after this Support for KKFI comes from Community Lending of America. Their Community Minute for December spotlights TARC, whose mission is to enhance the lives of people affected by intellectual, developmental, and related disabilities through a commitment to excellence in service, support, and advocacy. They primarily serve Shawnee County, and their vision is that all people, including those with intellectual, developmental, and related disabilities, experience life to their fullest potential. Learn more about TARC all this month at Community Lending of America's site, clakc.com. Last January, the Heartland Labor Forum volunteers and labor programmers from as far away as England looked in their crystal balls to predict what would happen to workers in 2023. This week, we're inviting them back to tell us how prescient they were and give us predictions for 2024. Tune in Thursday at 6 p.m. or for the rebroadcast Friday at 5 a.m. Welcome back to Artspeak Radio. I'm here with the precious Christopher Leach and the incorrigible Elizabeth Kirsch. Thank oh, you guys for coming. Incorrigible. <laughs> There's we no, no hope Please. of corrigible. We love you her. both. She's incorrigible. <laughs> so you were going to mention something about the Art Institute, right, Christopher? Well, before that, I want to quickly okay, sure. let our listeners know that uh, LGBTQ community icon Leah Hopkins is celebrating her 80th birthday, oh, and we're planning wow. a special get-together. Wow. She's a collage artist and is like spending countless hours making these very large, oh, boisterous narrative collages, and we may have a few at an event at Missy B's on Sunday, January 7th, cool. from 2 to 4 p.m. So we hope you can join us. She's just an amazing, amazing woman, and uh, more of Kansas City should know about oh, her many fun. contributions yeah. to our cultural landscape. So thank Love you it. for letting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, on that note, uh, 
back to KCAI because I just can't stay away. There's some changes <laughs> going on on the campus, yeah. but one of the great things about the school is it's filled with young people pursuing new ideas and relearning uh, techniques and materials and uh, art history in brand new ways and new interpretations. And uh, I'm going to talk about some things that I've seen there uh, in the recent holiday exhibits and then back in the fall. Uh, at the just-completed senior exhibits uh, for the end of the semester, I think one of the most strikingly memorable things I saw uh, were works by a junior in the fiber department, Leon McAllister. And uh, his installation, Brick and Orange, featured cinder blocks, bricks, and some stones loosely upholstered in brilliant orange silk chiffon. Mm. And uh, just a wonderful little cluster of these items uh, on a plinth. They were contrasting the soft and translucent fiber with the heavy, rough materials of construction, uh, trying to establish a protective aura around these very strong materials with this very delicate uh, material, the silk chiffon. They were just a stunning, stunning um, installation. Another piece that I saw in the fiber department, and I emailed the department and asked this artist's name because I took a picture of the label, but it was blurry and I can't read it. So I'm very sorry. <laughs> uh, if this is your work, please let us know. Uh, there was a beautiful marionette hung by, uh, it appeared to be a female figure, hung uh, by her hair uh, and uh, hung a little bit overhead. It was just a gorgeously crafted object and a beautiful poetic moment of figuration uh, in a world of pattern and color. Uh, there in the fiber department. And then we traipsed, that's our footsteps, uh, going across the way to the ceramics department, which is always an interesting oh, yeah. experience. I miss the days of the giant functional wear sales. When you had functional yes. potters in charge of the department, that was the kind of work that was coming out. I still and, have pieces oh, from I, those shows. And I you bought. could do some real dumpster diving there, too, oh, yeah. because oh, works yeah. that didn't sell, they would oh, just yeah. pile up by the dumpster, <laughs> and we would all carry them away uh, into the neighborhood. Um, but this uh, semester, uh, senior student Jack Brooks uh, made an extraordinary, extraordinary uh, mosaic panel out of decorative tiles. And uh, Jack uh, drew his inspiration from the Gay and Lesbian Archive of Mid-America yeah. collections over at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. I helped co-found uh, that archive uh, with its curator, Stuart Leonard Hines. And Stuart teaches an LGBTQ history course uh, at the university and at the Art Institute occasionally. He's teaching it again this coming spring. Has a waiting list of oh, uh, wow. 50 people long. Wow. And uh, Jack took that class and was really turned on by uh, this history that he could only know from taking such a course. And uh, the assignment wow. from the inimitable uh, Carrie Esser, who is uh, chair of the department, was to make a large thing that would be installed in a public place. So what Jack did was explore many of the images that he found in the Glamour collection, created a variety of sizes of uh, pattern-based, color-based, and also uh, figurative illustration-based tiles that make a four-foot by six-foot wide uh, mosaic that explores 
uh, from the 19th through the 20th century, Kansas City's LGBTQ history. It's just, it's an extraordinarily lively visual uh, item with lots of corners and edges and decorative moments and bright colors. But it's also gorgeously crafted to read left to right and top to bottom uh, a, chrono a chronology of uh, this ephemeral history which he has made permanent by firing it in uh, ceramic and glazing it brilliant colors. It was an incredible piece. I yeah, didn't get to see yeah. it. Well, yeah. uh, you may have an opportunity to visit UMKC's uh, Glamour Reading Room sometime in the coming oh, year great. because we're, we're talking to Jack about installing it there so that it can be visible yeah. uh, to more people. It's a great uh, episode yeah. of uh, inter-institutional collaboration with the faculty person yeah. at UMKC teaching at the Art Institute and for a fine arts student to be uh, visible to yeah. a more diverse student population on the UMKC campus. And oh, that's so smart. It, yeah. it, it's just yeah. such a lively, positive thing to, to be able to see and enjoy. So we're, we're working on that. We don't have the definite plans yet, but it seems like it's something that this young artist is interested in, mm -hmm. and I know the archive is interested and in I'm it. And I'm so, so sad I didn't get to see it. And so I would love to be able to see well, this, and I'll bet now after this, a lot of people are going to want to see it. We can't see everything no. but as you know, much as we want. It also, it also I think, no. I have to say this, that also, also lends itself to other sort of uh, resources like, you know, maybe canvas bags or something else that can, you know, kind of promote glamour. And, and not only that, but the individual's work. Well, this was a really wonderful study in how to translate ephemeral, yeah. two-dimensional material culture into a permanent, uh, more or less, uh, three-dimensional form. He didn't yeah. just paint pictures of a photograph. He made a yeah. three-dimensional bas-relief of the photograph mm -hmm. with cut-out forms uh, installed over the top and glazed gorgeously. And there's just enough of the sort of thick lumpiness of clay that we love, yeah. uh, but also a real refinement of execution that shows this is someone who knows how to use this material. Yeah, I would really love to have a photograph of yeah. that. You know, we're going to take a real quick break. We're going to uh, air take two, and then we'll be right back with Artspeak Radio. Thank you. Hi, I'm Russ Simmons. And I'm Susan Sanders. And this is Take Two, two takes at a movie currently playing in theaters or streaming. Napoleon is an epic Ridley Scott film starring Joaquin Phoenix. The battle scenes, and there are many, are extraordinary, especially that battle scene in winter. That scene is a monumental Ridley Scott production. Yes, Susan, those action scenes are very impressive, but Scott's historical epic about the infamous French emperor comes up a bit short. The French culture following the beheading of Marie Antoinette to the Battle of Waterloo is a fascinating look at how the society people ate, dressed, romanced. It's all richly detailed. True enough, but one of the problems with Napoleon is the odd tone that Ridley Scott develops. It's often quite funny, but it's a dramatically muted movie. The downside of this production was the lackluster performance of Joaquin Phoenix. Napoleon looked like an elderly man. Joaquin Phoenix mumbles his way through the movie, and this Napoleon is a petulant and childish ruler who's cuckolded by his wife Josephine, played by Vanessa Kirby. 
his megalomania is completely missing in this entertaining but uninspired drama. His voice was so soft and his manner so uncharismatic, it just did not ring true that he held a commanding leadership over his adoring troops. If the audience, myself included, knew more of French history, some of this documented battle and politics involved may have helped the film's popularity, but the romance between Napoleon and Josephine was a tedious meandering. I'm Russ Simmons. And I'm Susan Sanders. And this is Take Two. This is Art Speak Radio with Maria Vasquez Boyd on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Christopher. Hello, Maria. Hello, Maria. <laughs> I'm so excited because fishing through my phone, I found the name of the young artist oh, who created oh, this beautiful marionette. Uh, the title of the work is Little Moriah, and it was made by Sasha Merrifield, who is a dual or triple major in fiber, art history, and Asian studies. Wow. So thank you, Sasha, for creating such oh, a great, great no, work of art for us You know, and, and I, I have to say, uh, I should say in your bio, you need to include Foley artist. Christopher, because when you made your little walk over to the <laughs> to, to the ceramic department, we need to, you know, give you credit for that. <laughs> well, you can't come into this studio expecting just to sit and be lovely. You've got to really work. You've got to sing for your supper here at KKFI. I'm telling you. <laughs> Love you. So um, there are a couple of other exhibits uh, that I saw. Uh, one that I saw at KCAI and then another one at uh, the Artist Coalition. Uh, the work that I saw at Kansas City Art Institute in October was an installation by the artist Amy Rule. And uh, the curator there, Michael Schoenhoff, who many of us know here in the community, is just a hardworking and mm -hmm. honest and sweet, lovable guy. Um, he's done right by me many times. I'm really grateful for the opportunities he's presented uh, to me. But he's also, uh, and not being an alumnus of the Art Institute, he is really eager to help, uh, like Jason, to help mm -hmm. the students and the faculty in that environment really succeed and try new things and uh, have opportunities to experiment in ways that their studios or a conventional gallery, you know, uh, mm -hmm. might not uh, allow them to. And uh, his efforts to engage uh, in his program with the students and their faculty and the curriculum are, are really noteworthy. And I, I don't think that you can mention that too much uh, because mm -hmm. it is a school uh, after all. Um, the space and his program complement and enhance how faculty are shepherding students along the path of cognizance and sentience. Students come there with talent, but they need to be helped uh, to give that talent a focus or a direction or at least an idea of how to cope with being a talented and inventive person because mm -hmm. the capitalist world of America is not interested in you being an independent thinker or <laughs> intelligent or creative. <laughs> and uh, you have to have some coping skills. Rules installation uh, was similarly not easy. Um, the work was really technically complicated and it was intelligently convoluted. Uh, there was electronic projection of short mm. films where she plays a variety of costume characters. There was recorded sound that was independent of the video. There was still photography, moving photography, ceramics, large scale, three dimensional uh, sculpture elements. Uh, as a whole, 
It wasn't something that you could go in and go, ooh, I like this. This is pretty. I just love being in this gallery. Um, you, you couldn't really consider it from the perspective of taste. It was beautiful, and it was so crisp, and it was perfectly calibrated space to space to space, but, uh, but it, wasn't some, it wasn't a drive-by uh, kind of a exhibit. I don't really know what to make of it, uh, to tell you the truth. And I like having that bit of chewing gum stuck in my mm -hmm. cheek, mm -hmm. um, and, and I just sort of pop it out and chew on it occasionally and think about it. It, it has the kind of substance that will reveal itself to you with steeping and repeat visiting and slow consideration. Slow, a lot of art yeah. shows do demand looking. Yeah. slow looking. And you're really grateful for that kind of opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, this isn't a magazine where you have to get it and move on. And you know, sometimes mm -hmm. that's exactly what you need is, okay, I've got this wrapped up and it's very slick and you get it and we're trading on a lot of shared assumptions about stuff and then off you go. Um, this is, was a really inventive and interesting and unexpected kind of environment. Um, I, I was familiar with a lot of the kinds of things I was seeing, but because you just have to be if you go to any kind of art show now. But um, I, I don't understand it completely, and I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, I like that. Yeah, I think even a lot of artists will say, I don't, I, I, I don't want to tell anybody what to think about my art. Uh, I'm, I'm much happier letting them think whatever they want to think. I've heard so many artists tell me that. Um, but then you, they only give you like one idea. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> Amy's was about feminine representation of the self and about surveillance and about narratives of myths that are common in the Midwest. It was about color, it was about yeah. texture, yeah. it was about space and sound. It was, it was a really richly woven texture. You know, but um, ambiguity was not embraced when I was in art school and you know I I, I really that was really tough for me because uh, I I was all over the place and I still am but but there there's also that need okay. that that you don't have to have that explanation for each and every piece that you create and also I think I reviewed enough shows to have artists occasionally come to me uh, just when I'm ready to give up the business of ever writing again. <laughs> yeah. Some artists yeah. will show up yeah. and say, thank you Got so it. much for what you wrote, because yeah. I didn't even know that about my own work. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of it... <clears throat> and thank I, you for not just describing it, but actually talking about it. Well, <laughs> I've, right. I've, right. I've studied art therapy, because I think for a lot of artists, particularly contemporary artists, there's an aspect of that in, 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 in much of the most profound artwork. And that being said, <laughs> uh, and c c continuing with the whole notion of deep looking, mm. which um, maybe I'm just slow. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I should just call it slow. It's okay. I saw. I noticed that there were like five shows by women dealing with landscape in the last three months, and I thought, what, what's going on here? Because uh, just to and you know, you can kick me out of my art historical perch here, but you know, Western <laughs> in Western art, women did not. Well, first of all, they were hardly allowed to paint at all. If they did, they painted landscapes. Very few landscapes by women. And there have been, there's been much written about this. I'm, I'm not making this up. But a lot of times when women did start to paint, such as 19th century France, I'm talking about Western art here, um, what they painted was the interior. 
because they weren't allowed out. In, you know, they still didn't do landscape. Really, women doing landscape didn't really didn't really start happening until the surrealists. And so I was looking, and now, of course, it's uh, there's a lot of women. And here, I'm going to mention these five shows. And um, one of them is by Mary Lou Schempf uh, that was at George, a lifestyle store and occasionally he'll have some really good shows there. oh yeah, yeah and these seem to be very straightforward landscapes they're small although they, they were elegiac even mournful mm. and i noticed some references to maybe the hudson river mm. school 19th century american art but in the, her case with that vaporousness and that yeah, tonality but in her case there were no people or animals and she did paintings in whether it's winter, spring, or night. And huh. I was talking to Peregrine Honig about this, and she said, "Well, they're mournful." She said, "They remind me of death." And I thought, "Yeah, there is something about about these that's that's very compelling." And um, talk about deep looking. There is they're somber mm-hmm. and beautiful at the mm-hmm. same time. Then Peregrine's own work, uh, called Player, at Studios Inc. was composed of seven major paintings. They're all six by nine feet, and they're sort of autobiographical. And for her, it's it's about theater, her life as maybe laid out in a theatrical mode. But each 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 the center of each painting is a version of her, either hanging upside down, either cover looking like an animal in some way, um, very surreal, and surrounded by some kind of landscape. Sometimes it's joyful, sometimes it's very ominous. They were the kind of landscapes that you would see in a 19th century photography studio backdrop. Yeah, there were 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 theatrical backdrops, and that's what she wanted. Exactly. But I thought about her work, too, and and uh, an amazing Mexican artist, Remedios Varo, oh my God. And I I have a book of hers, and I've, I've studied her work, and often, she would center herself in like a, a, some kind of structure, an open structure in the middle of the woods. And I was talking to Peregrine once again about this, and she said, well, yeah, the woods, you go to the woods to hide and to protect yourself. And that is something that <clears throat> I think more, I think that's, that's something that a lot of women artists focus on. And I noticed that... Um, Annie Herrero show mm-hmm. at the Sherry Leedy Gallery. Right. Now she's got some wonderful yeah. landscapes too, although some of them, like they're really gnarly trees. They're, they're kind of angry looking. And then she's got several paintings, like one is called Hunter and Hunted, of naked women in the woods with rifles, naked women holding hands together in the woods. And then right. the one where a woman has obviously <laughs> just completed a, a self abortion and lying there in the woods. And so you get the feeling again of protection and of hiding. Mm-hmm. And also, she really brings to brings out the fact that women have historically been looked down upon because they are they are too much like nature. They are unpredictable, and they're they're more emotional, and they they're not as intellectual as men. And this was very much, you know, the thinking for for centuries. Even for last week, what are you talking about? I mean, yeah, for last week. I mean, even in the Bauhaus, people esteemed the Bauhaus as being this very evolved, uh, you know, t- teaching institution. Women were not allowed to do painting or sculpture classes, and so I think Rero also. She's got this this double play on on woman is trying looking for security somewhere, and also the fact that yeah, her, our bodies are nature. We are nature. At the same time, um, 
And the woman with the rifle, I mean, there's definitely some anger there, and, and that's reflected, I think, in the trees. You know, in art therapy, a tree is often seen as a um, version. Shut up. That's my phone. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I guess I forgot to eat it. This is mood music for you know, landscapes from Elizabeth Kirsch. We're going to take a real quick break right there because <laughs> right. I need to air some underwriting. So Excellent. stick around. Support for KKFI comes from the Johnson County Museum, featuring special exhibit, trains, transportation, and the transformation of Johnson County, now through January 13th. This exhibit showcases the impact of railroads on the county's landscape, people, and economy. Through interactive displays, artifacts, and visuals, visitors are transported back in time to witness the changes that rail transportation brought to Johnson County. For more information, visit jocomuseum.org. Puzzled by the news? Wanting to learn more? Understanding Israel-Palestine airs every Friday at 9.30 a.m. Locally produced but focused on national and international events, the hosts of UIP interview scholars, journalists, activists, and others about the ongoing conflict in Israel-Palestine. Once again, that's Understanding Israel-Palestine every Friday morning at 9.30 a.m. on KKFI. We're back. Art Speak Radio. Maria Vasquez-Boyd here on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. We have Christopher Leach and Elizabeth Kirsch. Yes, thank you so much for joining us today because, you know, this is the end of uh, the year for us, last episode of 2023. Art Speak Radio, two of my favorite people right here in the studio. Actually, three, if you include that John Todd, the radio <laughs> god. always is, include Yeah, John we Todd. love him. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I'll finish off with the two more landscape shows. Sure. <coughs> also, uh, showing at the same time in the Sherry Leedy Galley with Annie Herrera was her aunt, Jane Booth. And a lot of us know Jane Booth right. uh, in Kansas City. Now, they, they often, they gave it, you know, an artist talk, and they often would be together walking around in the landscape there. She gives a totally different take of landscape because it's abstract, mm. it's, it's sort of cosmic, ethereal, uh, joyful, even. Um, and that's it's, how Jane is. Uh, that's how. <laughs> for real. Well, for that's real. why I think all of what was interesting to me is how these artists were dealing with landscape. It had more to do with states of mind, life passages, issues mm. of safety and secrets, as opposed to, to just being mere landscape. Um, and then another show that's although it does a lot of her paintings are very big, and some of those do give you the sense of of large vistas you know the sky or large the plains whatever um, but i think it's amazing that those two were shown side by side having looked at some of the mm -hmm. same landscape and this is what they came up with so totally different aspects of landscape yeah. and a show that's coming up now also at sherry Lee's is by an artist named uh son smith foray and i've had I've looked at these works. It'll be up, I think, in February. It's not sure yet, but son almost died. She's 80. She almost died uh, several months ago. And um, her work, you'll look at a lot of these, and you'll see as, as if you're in a house, but outside they're dead. There's like be like a dead tree. I mean, it's dead. And inside there's these, these glorious blossoming bouquets. And so I talked to her about it, and it was sort of like representing – a life passes, which she said she didn't understand mm. why she made them at the beginning. Mm. But she almost died, and now she's doing well. 
and once again nature landscape what it, it can be a metaphor for the body for the self yeah. that i think women do that more than men although we just talked about dylan's with the tree trunks right no branches it was just the trunks and then all these pills that are in the ground so just just landscape it's just interesting that i don't think landscape is ever going to not be a subject for artists because it it can represent so many different things besides the landscape itself which is in itself is interesting but straightforward i mean you yeah, think about yeah. these aren't wilbur Newall's landscapes just let me put it that way oh, they're not I, th I think uh, the great modernist uh, includer of landscape in their oeuvre was George O'Keeffe, of course, yeah. and mm -hmm. those are gestures of empowerment and self-engagement. And I think that women placing themselves, this isn't just me mansplaining, mm -hmm. so shut me up at any time. Um, <laughs> women placing themselves in the world uh, is one of the tools of landscape. They're not in intimate domestic interiors. Mm -hmm. They're not painting right. pictures of their family. It's not intimate relations with religious subjects. It's being a part of the external world mm -hmm. and navigating it uh, under their mm -hmm. own uh, volition. And uh, I, that that is still radical uh, in the 21st century means that uh, we we need to be seeing more of it. And, yeah, because so um, many women simply don't, it, it, mm -hmm. this is still verboten for many women in many cultures. And, and, and the art world doesn't make it easy. Thanks, Gorilla Girls, for bringing that to light. <laughs> um, uh, to wrap back around to Peregrine quickly, because she is one of the most important artists in her community, and rightfully so, because she's one of the hardest working women you know, and she's constantly engaged in a new thing or trying to tackle a new idea, getting engaged with other people um, to do interesting and new things in new spaces. Uh, she hasn't sat still uh, very much of her professional life at all. And for someone who saw this little I mean, at the time, 30 plus years ago, seeing this little small person Tiny. Um, who, tra who traded a teapot by her then boyfriend, uh, Jesse Small, uh, for a toolbox that I had in my office because <laughs> she just had to have the toolbox <laughs> because the color was just so great. Um, you just thought, oh, this is a, a delicate and, uh, and, and frail thing, and you just you wished all the best for their survival and she's shown she's made of really tough stuff and she's a really deep thinker and um although she was making these images 25 years ago mm -hmm. and i wrote about them i mean she's been mm -hmm. making the same kind yeah, of images yeah. for a very long time um these canvases are uh larger they're better painted her drawing is very good uh these are th canvases that are really thick with the experiences of a mature person uh, what I, I don't think they say much about women with a capital W. I don't find them to be feminist in that way. I think yeah. they are personally. They're autobiographical. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they're about her journeys and her interests. Um, what I do think, and this I will just say with a wagging teacher's finger, <laughs> uh, is that this installation at the Studios Gallery demonstrates to me yet again that artists are not the best designers of their own exhibits. Uh, it's interesting to see how artists want to present their work. Um, but it was also really interesting to me to hear people in the gallery talking about how they wanted to see this work. I wish that they were installed in a manner that accentuates the mythopoiesis they aspire to. Um, sort of like altarpieces, the small pieces that were over at Weiner um, with the big works so they could uh, complement and enhance and echo and amplify 
each other, like you know Van Eyck or Mantegna. Um, they need to jostle uh, and bustle together, uh, in my view, with a murmuring social dynamism, which echoes how they came to be. Because this whole presentation was a gesture of artistic theater. Uh, the making of the paintings, the presentation of them, all the, the making of the film uh, components that were being uh, gathered uh, during the presentation of the exhibit. It uh, is one of the notable experiences of gallery going uh, in the past five mm -hmm. years. And to have an artist who's working this hard and succeeding as an artist without a teaching career or a day job yeah. like I had. Um, well, she is, does kind of have a job with her shop, Birdies. I mean, that's but that's as creative an endeavor. It is. Uh, it's uh, entrepreneurial. Another feather in her cap yeah. as a successful businesswoman. Yeah. Um, so, if you didn't see these works, um, I'm surprised because uh, there's no way you could not have known about it. Um, but there are. Uh, images of these paintings in many, many channels, and you, sh you should get to know them. And I think they're beginning to have a life mm -hmm. outside of Kansas City. Yeah, I, I, think, I think they will. And I, th I think it's it's actually, a, you know, like a small museum show. Yeah. I mean, that's how I saw it when, and I, uh, and it was helpful for me to talk, well, it always helps me to talk to artists, though, about what's going on. The notion of pr needing protection for women, or the notion of being, uh, I remember seeing uh, the Cindy Sherman retrospective years ago at MoMA, and I was with a friend of mine who is um, very knowledgeable about art, and she does it from a, um, a Jungian perspective. And as you go into Cindy's show, there was all these walls were just covered with trees, and then you saw a little piece of her coming out of the tree. And I said, Judith, what, what's going on here? And she said, oh, well, she's protecting herself. She's mm -hmm. hiding. She's afraid to show herself. And then, and then later on I read uh, an interview with her. She said she had a terrible childhood. They were very afraid of, of their father. Well, it's like, well, sure, therefore yeah, yeah. all the disguises. And I think I thought about that also in relation to Peregrine's work. She's in disguises a lot, animal disguises. Um, and so anyway. Well, the, the empowerment of self-presentation, even if that's mythologizing, uh -huh. uh, it's like, yeah, own it. Um, and these are truly powerful mythical characters yeah. uh, who she's embodying or who are embodying her. Yeah. Uh, and I, 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 I'm so glad that we all had the opportunity to share this experience yeah. with her. Now, we just have a few more minutes before we end up uh, wrapping up this segment of Art Speak Radio. Is there anything that you want to say that you haven't, that yes, you just got to get out there? Just, yeah, yeah, I yeah. I want to yeah. quickly tell yeah. you about the work of Amber Mustafik at Kansas City Artist Coalition in October. Tightly okay. crafted embroidery. Um, and they oh uh, yeah that was just they are gorgeous but they're related though. but they're not uh, emerging from the tired textile anthems of women's work that have plagued the medium mm -hmm. since its no, breach of birth in the 1970s yeah, they, they were, were really gorgeous think judy chicago yeah. and then the last thing that i want to tell you remind everyone of is the light and international artist exchange program oh, yeah. 
application deadline, January 8th, uh, would be a push for you to get something together in the next 10 to 12 days. But you could do it. But you could do it. I'm really lucky <laughs> to have worked on this project for some years with Linda. She's an accomplished artist, one of the most honest people you'll ever meet. They provide six to eight grants annually mm -hmm. to bring international artists to KC or to send artists from all over the U.S. to foreign destinations mm -hmm. of the various requirements. Um, she doesn't like sending people to travel to their own exhibit. She wants you to have a working trip where mm -hmm. art artists are involved in staying more than 10 days, meeting peer professionals, seeing and making art, and most importantly, making friends in foreign countries. Mm -hmm. it's, just, it's such an incredible act of generosity. And, um, and some of those artists have done incredible things go to the website in and their see. communities. Do you have really? the address? The uh, go to the uh, website at liaep.org, leap.org. Yeah for the Lighten yeah. International Artist Exchange yeah. Program. Very yeah, thank you program. for that, for Christopher, because that's really important. It is. Last words, Elizabeth. I, I don't know how I don't know how I'm going to get up for that 9 a.m. show. Maria. Oh, you I'm will, lady. I'm going to have to drag her over with a gallon of coffee. Yeah, I promise. He's going to have to come and, and drag me out of bed and everything. Uh, listen, you can come in your pajamas. We don't okay, care. But okay. but yeah, you'll be here. You know, because uh, we only just have a few more weeks before that kicks in. 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Uh, still on Wednesdays, we will follow I think democracy now and then Mark Manning will follow my show my radio husband my beloved radio husband so yeah <laughs> yeah I, I want to say thank you so very much Christopher Leach thank you Elizabeth Kirsch for enlightening us giving us just some wonderful information and really things to consider when we're looking at art when we're breathing art <laughs> making art you know it's just wonderful to have you both here in studio Anytime, anytime. The and and the pleasure and the honor is mine. Uh, bless your heart. So we look forward to you in 2024. And deep thinking in 2024. Let's I'm get some <laughs> deep thinking. I'm deep thinking right now. So thank you so much. Hey, I want to remind people to stay tuned next for our beloved Jeff Harshbarger jazz afternoon he's going to bring you some great tunes i know it because i've collected a lot of the songs that he's uh, played here on air and uh, you know so dub's groove will follow him three to six don't go anywhere stick around kkfi uh thank you so much for listening everyone happy 2024 honey i'm coming home <laughs>